Feels good to be back. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Oh man, I feel like the microphone doesn't sound exactly how I want it to. I won't worry about it too much. I'm just turn my volume up. Hang on. There we go. Sounds a little better. This is the podcast. ATP. We're back in business. Um, after a small week hiatus, um, we're here, we're ready to rock and roll, and you know that means we have a lot to talk about. We got Mark Figueroa. What's going on, man? Well, as you stated, there's a lot to talk about with the missed week, so we're going to try not to mention so many scores. Obviously, there's going to be a couple of Stan returning, Djokovic returning, but we'll try to mention more off-court stuff than not. By the way, this is episode 95. We're five away from the big boy 100. There you go. So we're going to start with um, Carlos Alcaraz winning um, Miami. So um, I was getting a little grief, man, from uh, I say Mark Figueroa, (laughs) but I go Carlos Alcaraz. And uh, I got picked apart a little bit by some of our listeners for that. So, <laughs> so how are you going to say Alcaraz or what? Alcaraz. There you go. Is that better? That's a I, little better. I don't have high yes. confidence in that one. So I have less practice with his name. I've known you a while, so. Well, there you go. I got to work on it. Alcaraz. All right. Don't, listeners, don't laugh at me if I try to mix it in a conversation today. So what happened? All right. So we're going to start with uh, Carlos Alcaraz winning Miami. Uh, he is the youngest men's champion in tournament history. He is the third wow. youngest man to win a Masters 1000 title. And Chang is uh, the youngest, Nadal and uh, mm-hmm. Alcaraz. And then his rank uh, rose from 13 to 11. Mm-hmm. And th- this is his second title of the year. And he's 3-0 in, uh, titles, in uh, finals. What are your thoughts on Carlos Alcaraz? Carlos Alcaraz... That's been, uh, he's been, um, he's been on fire and every record he breaks, he's in hall of fame company for every record that we mention about him. You know, he's not, he's not being compared to anyone but the great. So I think that, you know, health presuming, I can still hear the music, assuming his health stays fantastic, nothing can stop him. You know, um, he's not battling time and all of his true competition is right. So I think that he's got a very bright future, and it's happening faster than even he expected. So, big things, big things for Mr. Alcaraz. The hype is real. The future is now. He is definitely in the radar. As a matter of fact, everybody was hoping to get a Djokovic-Alcaraz quarterfinal Monte yes. Carlo, but they both lost. So, that's not going to happen. But a lot of the commentators were saying that they believe that he will win a Grand Slam as a teenager. He has four chances uh, to win one Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martina Navratilova was on board. Do you think that he can do it? So I guess the first question I have to ask myself is, who would stop him and where would he win it? Those would be the two real questions. Um, I don't anticipate him winning a Wimbledon. I don't recall his performance on grass. Uh, but I don't recall it being standout 
like he is on hard courts and on clay. Yes. So I would assume it's not Wimbledon, which then takes us to clay, where he's a phenomenal athlete, and he would just need to avoid the injury recovering Nadal. Yes. Um, that would be his main kryptonite there. Maybe a Pa, maybe a Novak. But as we can see, Novak is still trying to, you know, we'll talk more about it, but he's yes. trying to find his rhythm. So this might be an opportunity there. And as long as he's on the opposite side of uh, Nadal, they don't have to face each other until the final, assuming they both make it there. Yes. So I really like his odds at the French Open. Um, you know, if the stars align for him and the big three kind of fall out of place, I think the French is where it'll happen. But I think me and you can both agree. We've said this on this podcast. The U.S. Open is where stars are born. You know? Yes. So that may be an opportunity there because Nadal does not tailor his season to that part of the year. And Djokovic disqualifies himself from that tournament. So No, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's going to be French and uh, U.S. Open where he may win it for sure. Yeah. It's possible. Mm-hmm. And we saw what he can do in uh in the, at the U.S. Open when he beat Sissy Pass already, so right um, now we're going to talk about the other champion, which is Iga. Iga, Iga, she is the third female to win the Sunshine Doubles. Uh, Steffi Groff did it twice. Can so, you believe that? So, for the record, maybe a few listeners haven't heard that phrase before. What is the Sunshine? That is uh, Indian Wells and Miami back, back to, to back. back. Insane. Insane. Two Masters One Thousand tournaments back to back. Yes. Uh, wow. Steffi Groff did it twice. And then uh, Azarenka did it in 2016. Which is, that really speaks to how hot Azarenka was at one point. Right. What a crazy career she's had. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, podcast favorite, Ega? You know, I'm an Ega Stanimal. Sorry, Ega Stan. I'm getting ahead of myself topic wise. I'm an Ega Stan. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of her. Um, I will give you credit for making me one. Uh, you preach the preach to me, and I'm believing in the gospel now. You know, I'm I'm loving that she's actively, even when she was already successful, making these fantastic changes to her game, taking the ball earlier, shortening her swing, squatting down and taking that ball and striking more. She's playing intelligently. Uh, people that she was losing to had losing records against. She's now beating them in straight sets. You know, she's the definition of what I want to see in professional tennis. So. It's awesome. I'm a huge. I hope that she makes a run this year. She is the number one player on earth in women's tennis. Oh yes, a hundred percent. And she is the first uh, woman to win uh, the first three Masters one thousands of the year as well. So she is on fire, and uh, she will remain at the top. I think. Yeah. Now, very quickly, we will give a shout out to the Charleston champion, which was Bencic, and then we're gonna give. Uh, Servbot himself, um, Opelka. Can we talk about that tournament? Because this is the first time ever I enjoyed watching the Houston tournament. Yes. I'm not really a Houston tournament guy. Yeah, we, we will talk briefly about Kyrgios because uh, there is a lot of stuff. But okay. uh, uh, what did you think of the Servbot final between Isner and Opelka? I was really excited to watch it, and I'm actually happy it happened. You know, um, I've always thought that Opelka has the potential to be a much greater Isner. I think that his game's a little more dynamic. Um, he shows he shows potential for a higher ceiling than Isner has, but I haven't actually seen the results of that. So it was pretty awesome to see them face off. Yes, it was very funny that it was on clay. Exactly, that's a weird place for the serve by final to be. But you know, they both beat 
good players to get to that final. So Isner is a good clay court player. Yeah. So um, yes, and uh, real quick, Nick Kyrgios, were you shocked to see him at Houston? Absolutely. So it it's a tricky situation here. I know that Nick Kyrgios is relatively speaking in a very good place as far yes. as loving to be on the tour. Um, I know Nick Kyrgios loves to play in the States. He said that if he ever had to leave where he lives now, he'd move to the States. Yes. Um, on top of that, I know that he's probably in a good rhythm momentum wise. And I, this is, I have a conspiracy theory. I think that he's playing any tournament he can get his hands on because he wants to have a decent draw for Wimbledon. I can see that. Um, so I think that's why he took this tournament and fit it in his schedule. And we know that he can play anywhere he wants. They'll take him as a wild card. Oh, hands down. You know, he's actually the biggest mover in the rankings, I think, yes. of the last three weeks. Right. So, you know, this all adds up to making sense to me. And it's funny. He played great. He really did. And he hates clay. Right. He hates clay. So hilarious to watch. Now, um, he made a confession out of love. He said that his girlfriend has never been to France. Mm. And he said that he will end his ban potentially next year and he will be playing at the French Open just to take his girlfriend to France. That's what hilarious. are your thoughts on that? I feel like he's almost I don't want to say he's using her as an incentive to make it seem like he's gonna you know, it's so obviously I think he's in love and he's happy. That's for sure. But I think he's utilizing this as a way to make it himself backpedal on a lot of things he said in the past through her, you know, all of a sudden he's playing on clay. He's going to the French, you know, he's doing all these things and using her as like a, an excuse a front. But at the end of the day, I think that he's ready to really be on the tour full time. You know, I think that he's found where he belongs and he's found a, a pocket where he's happy, you know, where he doesn't care about the expectations or you know what people are assigning or want him to be as an athlete and now that's making him more comfortable to go to these events he doesn't enjoy as much right i so. think uh, as you said he's in a good mindset and he's actually trying to win now i think he's in a better mindset as far as uh competing is concerned mm -hmm. and he wants to be more at the top of the game i believe so and i got a question for you Obviously, um, you know, the rankings in tennis are based on an accumulation of what events you played in the last 12 months, right? Yes. So, for example, if you didn't play at all last year, you're not going to have a rankings. You won't have points. Now, Kyrgios is ranked 77, I think, yes. in the world Around right now. There. Yes. But, you know, that's with points. Yes. Let's talk about what kind of tennis he's playing. We had the conversation about how Murray was ranked whatever, but yes. he was playing like a top 20 player. Right. What is Kyrgios playing like to you? What would his ranking be? Oh, easily top 15, hands down. Yeah. He's 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 beaten uh, a high-level players. He had a top 10 win at Casper Rudd. Uh, he's playing really, really well. So easily top 15, maybe even top 10. I was going to say, I, I'm putting him around number eight in the world right now. That's the way I feel he's playing tennis. So it's very it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly he can climb the rankings between now and Wimbledon. Yes. And, you know, Wimbledon and also... that's where he wants to make his noise. Yeah, he wants to make his noise there. It's his favorite Grand Slam. And if you want me to be totally honest with you, as long as he doesn't run into a big three player in the first two rounds, yeah, expect him it. to go deep. Right. You know, so... Yes, and now a little bit more curious news. Um, we all know that Djokovic's brother is the coordinator in uh, Belgrade. And mm -hmm. that's where Djokovic will make his return on clay. It's, it, it's going to be in Belgrade. He, uh, the brother said that he wanted to invite Nick Kyrgios to the clay court event because of the support he showed 
for Novak at the Australian. Mm, what are your thoughts on that? That's very spicy information there. Um, I think it's a combination of two things. They know he sells tickets. You know, every tournament is going to let Nick Kyrgios show up because people sit in seats for him. Now, on the flip side, it is true. He showed a lot of love to Djokovic publicly. He went out of his way to support him. And I do think that that would turn that tournament into something that people are waiting to see. The number one player in the world, relatively speaking, and maybe the most discussed and searched tennis player in the world in the same clay court tournament would be very interesting. Yes, I honestly think it's uh, I don't know. if I don't know. I guess the beef is now gone. I guess yeah. the two and no doesn't matter anymore. It's the water under the bridge. I guess so. Yeah. But bottom line is he's a ticket seller. So let's not uh, play any nonsense. Yeah. They want him because of the tickets. For Absolutely. Sure. So uh, moving on. Uh, Halep it actually got Patrick Margulu to become her full-time coach. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, that's interesting because Serena hasn't announced her retirement or anything. I don't know if you noticed that. I am going to. Okay, there, go. There's a Zarina thing coming up. That's why I'm mentioning it first. Relax. Okay, I got to make sure. You, I, gotta, I don't check your topics. All right, go ahead. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, that's massive. And I'm not going to spill the beans. So I'm not going to give you all my thoughts yet. But um, Patrick, as a coach, is, as we know, a Hall of Fame coach. Yes, he's top top of the line top of the line tennis coach and he's partnering with in theory a top of the line new athlete and not new to the sport but obviously a new athlete to him simona halep is a grand slam champion yes simona halep is an intelligent athlete um them coming together we could potentially see some noise made quick yes very fast um on the wta specifically i mean you can attest and speak to this but we see a coach come into one of these ladies' camps and things change overnight. Um, I don't know how or why. I don't know if it's a morale thing or a, a placebo or what it is, but even like the Iga situation, she literally lost to Sakari, linked up with this coach, and beat Sakari twice in a row. Right. You know, it's just these things happen out of nowhere, these clicks. So I'm excited to see if we can get a clicking type of scenario out of Halep because, to be frank with you, outside of Iga, it's wide open. Oh, I agree. You know, this is a chance for her to have a breakthrough moment again. Yes, uh, Patrick Margulis is one of the top coaches. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard from Sasha Vine in a while, but yeah. he would be up there as well. But obviously, we know that uh, he's an, a consultant for Coco Goff, Sissy Pass. Mm-hmm. So he's well known in the tennis world for sure. Yeah. So speaking of, let's get to Serena. Mm-hmm. She made a massive uh, news on the Bitcoin conference. She was on Instagram with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers says, hmm, are you going to come back? And then um, uh, Aaron Rodgers said, will you be back for the U.S. Open? Mm-hmm. And then um, Serena said, no, Wimbledon is before the U.S. Open. Ooh. So she says she's going to return for Wimbledon. Now, that's interesting. Patrick Margulu is coaching Halep. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So this is, I'm glad you didn't say what I was hoping you'd say. Um, so when that announcement got made with Halep, the same day... Serena Williams posted a video of her dancing on a pole, like pole training, like right. pole dancing. Yes. Doing some crazy fitness crap, you know. Uh, and I think that she did that to say, hey, I'm still out here. I look great. I feel great. Don't count me out because she knows media will take a little bit of information and run with it. So I think it was a little bit of a, a plan from her on her part. And I think that this interview is no coincidence either. 
So I think that we can anticipate. I'll say straight out. She looks great. Um, I know that we've seen a little bit of a fluffier Serena Williams. I mean, obviously she's never fat, but right. you know, where she's a little heavier and a little slower and she comes back and people are nervous for her, but she looks very lean, very good. And I think that she's ready to play again. So, um, I didn't see her do any sprinting, which is what I'm actually worried about. Cause if I last checked, it was a knee injury, right? Right. So I, I feel the same way about another topic we're going to have today, the return of another player, but I need to know. Can you sprint dynamically? Because we know you can hit a ball great. So that'll be the next step with her. Yes. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled that that happened at yeah. that moment. And uh, she's still passionate about the game. Mm-hmm. And I, if she can run, she has the still, she still is one of the biggest hitters in the tour. Yeah. And if she could get to the ball, she's going to be, she can make it semifinal, even final run for sure. Her playing is 65% right now is a quarter semifinal player yes uh, uh there is no no one that can out hit her mm-hmm. and uh all the big hitters sabalenka struggling mm-hmm. uh soccer could maybe hang with her but other than that there isn't really a big big hitter per se yeah that can penetrate her so now the, the, the uh moving on to the next one venus williams actually said also hmm when serena made her comment venus said well i am a wimbledon champion that may be coming back myself mm. what are your thoughts on uh, venus williams saying that she may be back for wimbledon i don't count out venus williams because she just didn't she randomly just like make an australian open final or something a few years ago she is a random athlete that i will never count out you know, she she'll be ranked 125 in the world and lose in the first round of three straight tournaments and then just make a semifinal run out of nowhere. So I don't think you can count her out. I think that she hits big enough and she is wise enough and experienced enough to win a best out of three match anytime, anywhere. So I hope she is there and that will make those first round matches that much more exciting. I do not expect her to go far at Wimbledon, but I'm excited and I would love to see her there. Right. Uh, moving on, we're going to get to the men. Uh, Medvedev news. He stated that he has a hernia problem and that he, he's going to be gone most likely the clay court season. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? He hates the... he. There's a video clip. Uh, if you guys want a good laugh, look for a clip of him. He's mid-match on a clay court and he's screaming, I hate this surface. <laughs> you know, like He can't stand playing on clay. So I think a lot of players, when they have health issues... They postpone them and delay them so that they can take their treatment and do their rehab during the clay court swing um, instead of risking missing out on the hard courts if they can tough it out with the injury until they finish. So I believe him, and uh, I think he's timing it well. This is his least favorite and least favorite surface. He'll make sure that he's prepared to show up for the next tournaments after that. I Okay, this is actually good timing, but at the same time, since he doesn't have a lot of points to defend – he actually could have gained noise. ground on uh, Djokovic for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I get it, but I don't know. His uh, grass court isn't really that high either. Yeah. So I was shocked, but at the same time, since he doesn't like it that much, I could understand. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to get to Berrettini. He said that he's going to be missing the bulk of the clay court season as well with a right hand injury. Wow. And he did make a pretty deep run last year losing to Djokovic at the mm-hmm. uh, French Open. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on Berrettini? That's unfortunate because that's also going to be points missing if he doesn't play in the French Open. But the right hand is something that's non-negotiable. There is no toughing that out. If you're a right-handed athlete and your right hand is injured, 
you're done, you know? So I think that that's unfortunate for him. And I think that's more so bad luck. Yes. You know, so it's unfortunate that a guy who was considered a dark horse of the French this year is no longer going to be in it. Yes. And he has one of the biggest forehands in, in the tour. RPMs, RPMs and miles per hour. And miles per hour so yeah. that, that is going to be a miss for sure. Now we have a little bit of Dominic team news. He played <sighs> Where in is a, this guy? He played in a 250 event, uh-huh. and he lost to somebody ranked out, ranked outside the 150s in the world. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think he can rebound and make a little noise at the French Open? So um, I did watch the match. I saw it, and things are looking rough. Um, I do think he'll come back to form, and there were moments of quote-unquote brilliance, I guess you could call it, where he didn't look like he was hurt, you know? He looked like he was hitting the ball. But unfortunately, when it's those satellite weird 250s, the camera work is just not quite there. I can't tell you how well his ball was moving. And that's kind of what we know him for is the the weight, the spin. He's coming off a wrist injury. And you you know what the wrist injury did to Del Potro's back end. Exactly. So I'm very curious to see him at a higher quality event where we get a better look at his strokes and find out if He's going to have the same range limitations that Del Potro suffered because count him out if that's the case. He's yes. out of here. Um, if that's not the case and he still has full range of motion, full flexibility, full strength in the wrist, then that is going to be one of my dark horses for the French Open. But as of right now, I didn't see anything of the sort in that match. So with Dominic team, I'm a little nervous for him. I think it's going to take a lot of time and I hope he doesn't rush it or set weird expectations for himself. Movement wise, he was okay. Yeah, but uh, as as you stated, yes, the wrist. Uh, he may have to slice a little more because he may not be able to drive. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a problem. But uh, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah. Uh, before I go on to the next uh, subject, I, I this is super late, but I remember you saying, uh, "I don't look at your list. I think you need to start though." Oh no, <laughs> I, I read it when you send it. Okay, okay. but you know. <laughs> okay, so now we're gonna move on. Let's see here. Mm-mm. Oh, yes. Um, we're going to talk about Bianca Andreescu. She, okay. She has not been playing. She announced a while back that she wasn't going to play because of a, a break of, for mental health. She said she was going to come back at Stuttgart, which is a clay court event. Stuttgart's clay? Yes, there's two of them. Stuttgart's on clay and on grass. Okay, I was going to say, I thought Stuttgart was yes. grass. Uh, Barty, it was either Barty or Sabalenka who won last year in uh, Stuttgart clay. Okay. What are your thoughts on uh, Andrescu coming back? Um, I'm not that excited. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Um, I was a little bummed out about the mental health situation. Um, she's gonna have to earn my my uh, spectatorship. <laughs> you know, she's. I'm not really blown away that she's back on the tour or anything. I was just becoming a real fan before I, I liked her, but you know. I'll I'll be patient. I'll watch if she starts making some noise and wins a few early rounds. But you know these, it's kind of like the Osaka thing. You know, you get, I was a big fan. Then I got burnt out on the the mental health breaks, the complications, the anxieties. The you know that's fine. That's your journey. Not judging at all. But it's hard to be a fan when you know that the player you're spectating can just lose it at any time. You know, it's discouraging as a fan. So. I mean, we haven't spoken about it, but Osaka played a great tournament. She did. You know, she played a very great tournament and she lost to the best player in the world. So, you know, Osaka's still a good athlete, but also it's just another one of those I'm a bit less of a fan now. So 
with Andrescu, she will have to, I doubt she cares. She's not worried about me, but she'll have to earn my viewership again. <laughs> well, so, now that you mentioned Osaka, uh, she did beat Benchich, who she had a losing record against yeah. in Miami. And that was her first final since Australia. Right. And it, so, it was a great tournament. So she she did do well. Yeah. Now, going back to Andrescu, uh, she is one of the most diverse players on the WTA. She was kind of like Barty. Yes. Uh, I don't she know if that you remember. Type of game. Yes. Yeah. She was... She was a danger. Wasn't she? Didn't we have her on the cover with the special outfit? Correct. Yeah, she was playing great tennis. Yes, nice slice. Yes, slice. She can drive people crazy with that. Mm -hmm. So she has the variety to give people a lot of problems. Yeah. So uh, as long as she can get back to 100%, she will be a fan favorite quick. Yeah. To tell you the truth. Now, uh, before all these retirements and everything, we're going to talk about um, Monte Carlo real quick. Djokovic comes back. He loses to Davidic Fokina, who is ranked outside the top 40. This is the sec- this is the second time that he's lost to a person in the uh, outside of the top 40 uh, this year. He actually got broken nine times in the match. He also stated in his post-match interview that he just didn't have his legs. And uh, he's not really worried. But his main goal is obviously the French Open. Did you happen to see the match? I didn't. I saw highlights. Okay. I saw well, highlights. What are your thoughts on Djokovic's statements and his performance? I don't want to rate his performance since I didn't watch the entire match because Djokovic matches, the highlights can be deceptive um, because he's not really a highlight guy, you know? So um, it's um, Javier actually reached out to me and he asked me, hey, Djokovic is making his return. What do you think is going to happen? And before these matches happen, I said, I anticipate him having a pretty sluggish start, but him finding his best form at the French. Now, this is the first time ever that a number one in the world, Djokovic, is playing without momentum, without rhythm. Uh, We've never seen Djokovic in this specific position before while he was playing his best tennis. So I have a gut feeling that he's not going to make the noise we think he is at the French Open. I think that this is going to be, for the first time in his career, a bit of a... A struggle. He's going to be very vulnerable early at the French. Obviously, once he gets past quarters, fourth round, you know, he'll look good. But he's got to make it there first. And it's going to be a tough journey for him. Yes, I agree. Now, <clears throat> he has not, at Monte Carlo, he has not been doing well lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, since winning the title, I believe it was either 15 or 17. Is this the one where Zverev was winning a lot? Was that Monte Carlo? Zverev was winning a clay tournament. I think that was a... Um, or is that Rome or Madrid? Madrid. That's Madrid. Madrid. Okay. Yes, Tsitsipas has won. Fognini has won. Uh, but anyway, going back to Djokovic, mm-hmm. uh, ever since winning either 15 or 17, he hasn't made it past the quarterfinals. Okay. So he even stated there, I'm not a top performer here. It doesn't really mean much. Yeah. That's so, good for his mentality. So I guess that's good for his mentality. Yeah. So now going uh, on to another returning uh, player, one mm-hmm. of my favorites as well, the Stanimal, Stan Wawrinka. Love he, this man. He came back, uh, lost in three sets. Mm-hmm. He also stated that he did not have uh, legs as well. Mm-hmm. But he was playing against Bublik, who's an entertainer, a la yeah. and he had it. Mm-hmm. And um, five minutes, a good play. He would have won. But yeah. Unfortunately, Bublik came back and won in three. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see his highlights or match? I did see that match. What and are your thoughts on the Stanimal? 
I thought he took it. I stopped watching. Yes. I literally was like, oh, wow, Stan's back. Stan's really back. And then I came back and was like, oh, wow, he lost this match? Yeah, he looked, even Bublik kind of looked like he lost the match. Like when I was watching Bublik, like his body language a little bit. But, you know, he he found a way. Bublik is a trickster. You know, he yes. does have all the shots. He can, when he's really serious, he can be a bit dangerous. So I'm not surprised that Stan, like if you would ask me who was going to win this match a week before it happened, I would have chose Bublik. But I'm really happy to see that Stan just coming back looks better than Djokovic coming back. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, to me, Stan is the dark horse of the French Open. The danger on clay. He Stan is a danger anywhere but Wimbledon. So, yeah, pretty much. Yes. So, you know, I'm really excited to see that his backhand and his forehand both look pretty good. Um, his movement did not look hindered. So this should be a good match. Thanks for stealing my thunder. Uh, I was going to mention him as a dark horse for sure. Yeah. If there's somebody you got to watch out for in the draw, it's going to be this animal. That man, his mentality. You want to talk about someone who plays the ball, not the opponent. The way we saw Paw freeze up and blow his opportunity and some of these other young guys. Stan does not have that in his bones or his blood. That guy plays the ball. Yes. So if he can get to peak form, everyone's in trouble. Oh, I agree 100%. He's hitting through the ball. He's hitting uh, 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 angles with his backhand. Yep. He's hitting really clean. Yeah. Uh, if he can get that movement back uh, for a three out of five match, mm-hmm. he, he's dangerous. Yeah. 100%. Um, and now we're going to close it with uh, a couple of retirements. Uh, mm. I don't know about this one. I, I'll give her the respect. So we're going to uh, mention the person that has not won a slam, which is Joe Wilfried Sanga. Whoa, what do you mean, I don't know about this one? Yes, there is another retirement as well. So, Joe Wilfred Sanga mentioned that he will retire. The French Open. Yeah. This was last week's news, but since we didn't do it, yes. So, last week he said that he was going to retire at the French Open. Most likely this will be his uh, last 1,000 event Mm -hmm. unless uh, they give him as a wild card in Rome or Madrid. But as of ranking wise, he can't qualify. Yeah. So most likely this will be his last uh, tournament. Uh, what are your thoughts on the career of uh, Sanga? I'm a, I'm a huge Sanga fan. So put some respect on his name, please. <laughs> um, Joe Wilfrey Sanga was the first professional tennis athlete I ever watched live where I thought his body type was relatable to mine. That's why That's why you said show respect. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, Joe Wilfried Tsonga, I remember I watched him. I want to say it was 2008 or 9. Um, I never heard of him before that. And he made a run all the way to the Australian Open final. And he was whacking the ball, drop shot volleys. You know, he was playing great tennis and he lost to Djokovic and... Uh, I went, wow, that guy was awesome. And when I played on the high school team, people started calling me Sanga. Nah, uh, no wonder. Soft uh, spot here. Okay. Hey, nostalgia <laughs> in the building. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I am a Sanga fan for the record. But, you know, at the same time, he peaked in 2009. Yes. You know, and that's the other side of the story that's a little unfortunate. Um, I have my reservations and thoughts. I'm going to this time ask you. What do you think of the Sangha career as far as him peaking so early? Um, even though he did eventually cut more weight, he dropped about 15 pounds yes. at some point and still just couldn't quite break through again. What do you think it was? Uh, I think, okay, first of all, his game 
he moved well for the weight that he carried obviously mm. uh this this is a uh, known uh there are they are not really champions above 205 ish yeah uh 20190 medvedev 66 yeah and it's around 190 ish yeah so uh you don't have 200 pound champions you know yeah so for for the weight that he carried he his mobility was really good mm-hmm. um he he wasn't a great defender obviously yeah but there were times where he was just being moved around so much but uh uh he had great power and i just think that if he could have found a little bit more mobility and maybe a, a little bit more of a weaponry on the serve he could have made more damage in my opinion yeah i agree um there was he had a bit of that frenchman failure in him you know the the flashy showmanship would it would peak in his game sometimes. These one-handed backhand things he would do, and um, this is me just being a bit petty. But the the, the switch to Babolat, you know, <laughs> a lot of these things. Um, a lot of weird things happened in his career that I didn't really understand as far as the path of becoming a more successful athlete. Um, it seemed like there's a little bit of lack of maybe bringing the right people around him. You know, like having an elite team to get to that next, next level. Because like you said, he was he was freak athletic enough to move well. So, for example, like we saw the gatekeeper, Burditch. Yes. Um, who, you know, was always right there. I think Songa, at the very least, should be. He should have been in the class of the Ferrers, the Burditches. It should have been next Songa. Right. That's where he should have been. But for some reason, you know, he just couldn't find the consistency. So That's what it was. You know. It is what it is. I'm a fan. I think he does deserve us to acknowledge his retirement. Yes. Um, well, of course, of course. You know, yes. but as far as was his career what it should have been, I don't think so. Right. I think that Burdich and Ferrer figured it out a lot better. Oh, for sure. 100%. You know, we, we can blame Federer and Adon Djokovic for those guys not yeah. breaking through. I don't think that's the excuse we can use for Songa. Yes. He should have had the 09, to tell you the truth. Yeah. And now uh, the reason why I was torn is because uh, Kim Kleister's. She said that she announced she's gonna retire again. Mm. So the reason why I was I don't know not not to diss Kim Kleisters, but I yeah. believe this is the third retirement. Yeah. She said that uh, she tried to come back from an injury. Uh, obviously, she couldn't play at the Australian because of the injuries, COVID related as well. So she tried to come back. She couldn't come back, and now she said, "Okay, I I don't have much left in me, so I'm just gonna retire." What are your thoughts on Kim Kleischer's? I honestly could care less what she does at this point. You know, to me, this is one of those scenarios where I think that the WTA is relatively speaking pretty open right now as far as her breaking through the top 15. If she was going to come back to the pros and make some noise, now is the time. I'm not saying she's going to be a slam champion or anything like that, but there's an opportunity here for her to make some runs and be successful and she cannot seize it. She should chalk it up. Um, unless there's something I don't know about her health, I think that it's definitely going to be one of those moments where maybe she is in a Venus or a Serena where, you know, they're able to overcome the time, you know, issues and stuff like that. And they, she's a bit more vulnerable to time than they are. So, you know, I just haven't seen the results from her. Now, um, show the, show the woman some respect. (laughs) She's, she's a legend. Absolutely. She, She did, uh, uh, she retired once, had the kid, yeah. came back, won the U.S. Open. Absolutely. So uh, she is a competitor. So she's one of the best competitors of her era. Yeah. Uh, she was giving uh, um, 
as a matter of fact, that's probably one of the biggest women's uh, eras of all time, in my opinion. I agree. With Kleister's Annan, Venus, Serena. Uh, loaded. Loaded, Azarenka, Sharapova, even, yeah. if you want to add her. Yeah. She is a slam her. champion. So, she is. So that was a pretty loaded uh, field. That's the last time the WTA was making crazy noise. Was right. There was a lot of recognizable faces on the tour to like household names on right. the tour for the WTA. Um, you know, the household names now from the young players are Coco Goff, Naomi Osaka, you know, these, these players that are a little more streaky or haven't quite broken through, you know, so there's a lot to figure out with the tour right now. It's a young tour at the moment. Yes. So, um, again, on Kim Kleister, she won four grand slams. Uh, she has 41 WTA titles and Oof. had, uh, 20 weeks at number one. Insane. So that's a Hall of Fame record. Now, before we shut the uh, program, um, this is one of your favorite topics. Sangha, no title. Does he deserve to be a Hall of Famer? I, Grand Slam, that is, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, to be frank with you, I would need to look at his statistics because instinctually off the top of my head, I'm going to say no. Um, Although that's your boy, you idolize him. I'm a fan. 200 pounds. I'll say this. I've never loved his game. Okay. (laughs) I've never wished I played like him ever, but I just had a lot of respect for him. And he was fun to watch. You know, I did enjoy watching him, but it it hurt to watch him also. So, you know, I... My thing is, once you let Song in the Hall of Fame, who do you not let in the Hall of Fame? You know, that's where it gets tricky. Yeah, now it's Burditch for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now we're talking... Nisha Corey, Hall yeah. of Fame, you know. Like, he did make a final. Yeah, he made a final. You know, Chilich is super Hall of Fame. Yes. You know, so to me, it's like, slow down, buddy. You know, <laughs> so I'm going to have to say no. Even though I wish, if if they put him there, I wouldn't be upset. But I think people would have a right to be, so. Yes, so with that, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this full-packed episode. And I hope you guys were entertained. Appreciate you guys. This is the ATP Podcast. And... Next week, we'll have some results for them, I think, right? Correct. ATP, episode 95.